Good morning. Spider-Man is the very best superhero ever created. No apologies to my DC Comics fan brothers, but Spider-Man is the best. His abilities are cool. He has the perfect mixture of like superpowers with teenage angst. He is, he is definitely the best. Bitten by a radioactive spider, instantly given superpowers so that he can like do these acrobatic things and lift buildings and it's it's awesome and so he's my favorite so a couple years ago the children's ministry with their harvest fair was having a costume party and i have to go as spider-man and so i call up the costume place and they do have a spider-man costume but it's a medium Psh, that's okay so i get my medium-sized spider-man costume and we get dressed that night and uh, just before we go to Adventure Club, I come out. Here's my eight-year-old son, and I come out dressed up like Spider-Man. And he says, Dad, you make a fat Spider-Man. <laughs> All right, thanks, buddy. You know, just kind of web up that mouth. Everybody, everybody loves a hero. We, we, the heroes give us encouragement that maybe we can stand like they stand. That despite their own personal weaknesses, we see our weaknesses, maybe we can be as courageous and as loyal and as right as they are. Today we're going to hear the story of David and Goliath. And we are going to look at the true hero of the story of David and Goliath. And it may not be who you think it is. Let's take a look at 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, before we look at it, uh, let's pray and ask God to bless our time and his word together. Heavenly Father, we are weak, but you are strong. And in our own strength, we can do nothing. And uh, Father, I pray that our heart's desire would not be for ourselves, but for your glory and the greatness of your name. And so, Father, as we look at your word this morning, may the desire for your glory reign over our hearts above all things, and may we become people who lift you up as the hero of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So, let's get back into this story. We are looking at uh, the once and future king, we're calling it, the story of David. And for the first 15 chapters in 1 Samuel, it's telling the story of what Israel was like before David came around. It was this hodgepodge, loosely connected uh, group of tribes uh, with no real direction, no real unity, a bit of a superstitious idea of who God was and how he works. And in their disobedience, they decide that they want a king like the other nations have a king. And so God gives them a king, gives them Saul. And Saul is a lousy king. He stinks at it because he desires his, his own glory. He isn't walking closely with God. And it only takes a couple of chapters and God says, I'm done with Saul. And so, secretly, 
quietly behind the scenes, the prophet Samuel is told to anoint this young teenager, David, as the next king. And so we see that God is behind the scenes uh, establishing uh, something new for Israel. And very quickly we begin to contrast Saul with David. And we're beginning to see that David is a man after God's own heart. And Saul isn't. And so as 1 Samuel 17 comes along, we have this unknown young kid who uh, does something amazing. So let's take a look at it. 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines have come in great military strength, and they have set themselves up against Israel. The Philistines pr probably came from over the seas, over the Mediterranean Sea, and, and began to establish themselves in this land that God had promised to the Israelites. In fact, the word Palestine probably comes from the word Philistine. Okay, they were so strong in the land. It was known as their land, even though they were really foreigners that had come in and taken over the land. And so we're now in the Valley of Elah. And on one side are the Philistines. Boo, hiss. And on the other side is the Israelites. Yay. And the Philistines have this champion. His name's Goliath, this big Hairy, ugly, smelly guy. Nine and a half feet tall. His armor that he's wearing weighs 125 pounds. Now, I looked it up this week. A, a normal U.S. Army soldier, a grunt, is going to carry anywhere between 50 to 80, maybe 100 pounds of stuff. And that includes not only their Kevlar vest, but their weapons and everything. Goliath, just his armor alone, weighs 125 pounds. He has this spear that the head of the spear is 15 pounds. Now, my wife doesn't even like to bowl with a 15-pound ball. It's too heavy for her. This guy has a spear that the head of it, without the shaft, weighs 15 pounds, and he chucks it at people. This guy is huge, and his name's Goliath. In fact, he is so notorious, uh, even now, big, ugly, scary things are called Goliath, even in our culture today. Like the Goliath bird-eating spider, the largest of all the tarantulas, 11 inches long from toe to toe. So imagine a ruler, pick a ruler out of your kid's bag, that's how big this spider can be. It's nocturnal. It, 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 it lives in the northern part of South America. So imagine sleeping in the jungle and waking up to see this thing crawling across your sleeping bag. Now, scientists tell us that birds aren't its normal menu. Doesn't that make you feel better? That the bird-eating spider only sometimes eats birds. This thing is giant. It's got several ways to defend itself. It can make a noise by rubbing its legs together. But if the enemy gets really close, then it rubs these special hairs on its body and it forms like this little misty cloud of hairs that when it gets onto your skin and in your eyes causes pain and irritation for two days. And if that doesn't work, it has two inch long fangs strong enough to crush the skull of a mouse and inject its venom in it. 
Now, it's actually part of the cuisine. They say it tastes like shrimp. But, you know, the Goliath bird-eating spider. I would rather fight the giant than face this thing. Goliath has become uh, synonymous with oversized danger. That's Goliath. And this is the guy that is Philistine's champion. You know, when we are confronted with difficult, frightening situations, the deepest parts of our heart kind of get revealed at times like that. When we are afraid, the desires of our heart become exposed. So what I would like to do is look at some of the desires hiding within the hearts of some of the players in today's story. And that will help us, I think, decide who the real hero of the story is. So let's first look at the desire of God's people. This army, the Israelites, what were the desire of God's people? They desired, above all things, they desired security. Let's take a look. 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 8. He, meaning Goliath, stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. Yeah, right. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And so what did God's people do? Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Greatest concern, the desire of the hearts of God's people was to be safe, was to be secure. They made decisions based on what would keep them out of physical harm. So they served their comfort. It was their God. We made our decisions. We will let someone else fight. Maybe God will like miraculously strike this guy down. Day after day, he comes out and challenges the camp. And they just cower in their tents. Their desire was security. They had forgotten their position. They were an army. So what if this nine and a half foot tall guy comes out? Just send like a hundred guys down there and wipe them out. They weren't just an army. They were God's army. They were walking on the land that God had promised to give them. They had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten who God was. And they had forgotten God's promises to them. And they had replaced the, the chair, the throne of their hearts with security instead of God. Our position is in Christ. Christians can forget who we are. We can forget the power of God to save us. 
We can forget his promises to us. We can forget that we are a called people. That with our salvation comes a mission. We can forget that. And we can say, well, someone else will bring God's kingdom to the world. I joined the church so I could hide. So someone else would do it. And we can forget our position. The best way, the best way to get reminded of our position, to get reminded of God's power, to be reminded of God's promises, the best way to be reminded is to read God's word every day. Read God's word every day. I find it curious that we're going into this story and we're talking about forgetting who we are and one of the electives this session on Wednesday nights is a Bible study led by Carol Platner called Who Are You? It's a Bible study for women to talk about who are we in Christ, what were we called to do? If, if you are not currently involved in a, in a Wednesday night elective and you're a woman, I would strongly suggest that maybe you join that. We've got other things going on on Wednesday nights too. Best way to get reminded of who we are is Bible study. And that's what God's people had forgotten, who they are. Their core desire was security. David, David wasn't like that. He had a different desire in his heart. David's greatest desire was the glory of God. His greatest desire was the glory of God. Let's jump ahead in the story just a little bit to make this point. Verse 46. What David wanted to do was make God the hero of his life. He wanted everything to be about God. And so the glory of God was his greatest desire. Verse 46, David's talking to Goliath. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Drop down to the end of the verse. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves. The whole reason why David set himself into a place of danger was so that God would get the glory. God is not glorified by his people cowering in the face of danger. That doesn't glorify God. What's, what's your heart desire? Why'd you wake up this morning? I mean, most of us woke up, oh, it's Sunday, we gotta go to church. So why are you gonna wake up tomorrow? So you can go to work and make money? So you can buy clothes and food and maybe something nice? And, and then what, you die? What's your greatest desire? If you could accomplish one thing in your life, what would it be? Security, safety, your own glory? Because really the answer to that question, why am I waking up this morning? The answer to the question, what's my greatest desire? The answer to that question is really the answer to the question, what is your God? Why do you live and move and have your being? David did not forget who he was. 
Yeah, he knew he was just this young guy. He wasn't even old enough to be in the army. He knew that, but he also knew that he was God's. And he hadn't forgotten his position of being a man after God's own heart. He hadn't forgotten his position or who God was or what God deserved. Now, this is important. It was his desire for the glory of God that gave him courage. It was his desire that God get the glory that gave him courage. Courage is not an end in itself. Many of us desire to be a great, courageous person. Why? So you can be known that you're brave? Like Spider-Man? Why? Courage is not an end. It is a means that serves a greater end. Courage is a byproduct of a person who places something higher than his own safety. So if David says the glory of God is the highest end, then I will sacrifice and do anything for it. That's my place. And people will look at him and say, wow, David, you're really brave to go up against Goliath. And I'm not sure that he would consider himself very brave. He just wanted to do what glorified God. You see, courage in itself is really just foolhardiness. It's, it's stupidity. If you saw a person run into a burning building, is that person being courageous or foolhardy? You would only know if you knew the purpose behind it. If the person ran into a burning building in order to save someone, you would say that person's very brave. But if he ran in there because his buddies dared him to, you'd say he's an idiot. The same act, and one's courageous and one's stupid. So what's the difference? The difference is why? The difference is what's more important than your safety? And if what's more important than your safety is that your friends get a yuck out of you running into a burning building, then, then you're a fool. But if you say that person's life is more important than mine, then you're a hero. And David's greatest desire in his heart was to glorify God. So let me ask you, what are you afraid of today? What are you going to be going up against this week that you're a little hesitant about, that you're anxious about? Or maybe it's something that you've been facing for many weeks and it's got you a little afraid. What is that thing? And how are you going to get through it? And the secret is not to pray for courage. The secret is to pray that God would be glorified in your life. And you'd be amazed at what you end up doing because you want to glorify God. 
you know, we, we find ourselves in a difficult situation, a scary situation, and we, we cry out in, 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 in fear. We, we recognize our own weakness, our inability to get out of it, and we cry out in fear. And our, this month's memory verse, our memory verse this month, is a great prayer to pray when you're afraid. Say it with me. Mark 10, 47. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David. The glory of God was David's highest desire. What do you think Jesus' highest desire was? The glory of God. David ran at that Philistine, that nine and a half tall soldier. And, and Jesus just ran straight to the cross. You know, son of David. Have mercy on me. I don't have what I need to accomplish your glory. So it's not, I need courage. It's not, God, give me courage. When I find myself in trouble, I pray, God, have mercy on me. Glorify yourself in me. And then see what God does. So the desire of, the, of the God's people was their own security. The desire of the mass of people, the general public, they make decisions based on their safety. But David was different, and his greatest desire was God's glory. What's God's desire in the world? What's God's desire for this whole situation? God's desire, as it always is, is to use the weak to bring victory. And this should be a great encouragement for us because we're wimps. <laughs> we are weak. We don't have what it takes to do what God is calling us to do. And when you recognize your own weakness, you are in a wonderful place for victory. In fact, I believe that's the only place for victory is a recognition of your own weakness. Use the weak to bring victory. This is God's desire. He emphasizes David's weakness. Uh, verse 43. Verse 43 and 44. The Goliath the Philistine is coming down to the valley and he's cr calling out and he sees this scrawny little teenager not wearing any armor. Just, I don't know, some kind of tunic. And he's coming down. And he says, verse 43, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? David is a stick in the eyes of his opponent. He's weak. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. This is the first talking smack in the Bible. I love talking smack. You guys know because I mention it like practically every week. I love to play racquetball on Thursday afternoons. But what's almost more fun than playing racquetball on Thursday afternoons is talking trash to my, to my racquetball partner, texting back and forth the three days before Thursday. Oh, you're going to lose, you know. i am got my calories in today. I'm going to wear you down. We talk trash to each other. Now, he wins some games, and I almost win others. You know, it's really close. He tends to win more than I win. 
But that doesn't stop me from talking trash. I, mean, I probably talk trash more because I know I'm going to lose. It's fun. It's fun. And so here's Goliath talking smack. But you know what? David's better at it than Goliath is. So here we go. <laughs> Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Okay, so you're going to feed me to the birds and the beasts. I'm going to feed the whole army to the birds and the beasts so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This is always the way of God. He wants to use the weak to defeat the strong because that displays his glory. That makes him the hero of the story. Not the courage of David, that's not the hero. It's God who's the hero because David is submitting to him and desiring to do things for his glory. This is the way of God. The weak defeat the strong. The foolish confound the wise. And the dork gets the cool guy's girlfriend. It's the way God always works. It's the way God always works. And so this is how it happens. Verse 48. When the Philistine arose and he came and he drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I love this picture. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a, and took out a stone. So you've got this valley and they're, they're able to shout at each other. And then Goliath gets out trash-talked. And so he gets really mad, and he and his armor bearer, he's kind of a sissy because he has to have an armor bearer. And so the two of these guys are coming down. He picks up that huge, heavy javelin. He's going down the hill. And David sees him coming down the hill, and he runs to him. And you see him grabbing the rock out of his pouch, and he puts it in his sling. He starts swinging that thing, and he runs down the valley to face this guy. I, I love this story. And so David prevailed over the Philistine. Where is it? Verse 49. David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Now, God wants to emphasize that David is weak. Listen. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. He did not have a military weapon. He was a teenager. He had no armor. He was completely untrained. This would have been foolish except it was for the glory of God. And therefore, it wasn't foolhardiness. It was courage. And so he defeats him. Verse 51, then David ran and he stood over the Philistine and he took the Philistine's sword and he drew it out of its sheath and he killed him and he cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. You better believe it. You better believe it. You, you run. You run. God's way is always to have the weak defeat the strong. See, that's why we fast when we pray. When I fast, I'm reminded that I'm weak. That I need food or else I'm going to die. 
that I'm not self-reliant. I need God to water the ground and care for the ground so that there's food. I need God to provide farmers and grocers and the guys to fill the bag and the, and the guys to fix my car so I can take my food to my house. I can't survive on my own. I'm weak. And as I fast and I feel my body reacting and craving, I think I'm spiritually weak. I just want stuff for myself. And in that weakness that fasting gives me, my prayers become stronger. And I say, God, I want your glory more than my own strength. See, this is, this is why we fast. This is why we fast while we pray. How did God overcome Satan? Did God say, oh, Satan, and he rumbles from the heavens and he throws lightning down on him and he picks him up and he crushes him and he throws him to the everlasting lake of fire. Ha! Is that how we defeated Satan? No. God defeated Satan by becoming weak. By being a man that needed sleep and food and water. By dying. That's, that's how God won. By dying so that God gets the glory. God gets the glory when, when we're weak. The cross, death defeated Satan. Death defeated sin. Death defeated death. This is how God always works. We long for strength. We long for power. We want to have superpowers. We want to be Spider-Man. We want justice to happen. Really, it's revenge. But we call it justice. We're concerned about being in where we are in the pecking order in, in our social environment. I've got to be stronger or cooler or sexier than that person. And God says, I'm looking for weak people to accomplish my will. Not strong people, not super smart people. People who my glory is the greatest desire of their heart. That's what's going to bring victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 3 and 5. Paul describes his ministry, and it's exactly the same thing. How David did it, how Jesus did it, how Paul did it, is how we do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 to 5. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He explained it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God will put us in a place of weakness because our desire is for him to get the glory. And we'll be glad for it. We will rejoice in it because our greatest desire has been met. God is glorified. Wow, thanks, Jesus, for using me. 
So in his weakness, David won a victory that day. Why does God bring victory? Two quick reasons why God brings victory. His purposes for bringing victory. The first one, first reason why God brings victory is so that he, his name, would be glorified. So that his name would be known. We've already seen it, but it is the main point of the story, so it's worth repeating. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. God gets the glory. He must increase. I must decrease. God is the hero of this story. Who's the hero of your story? If someone were to sit down and listen to you talk, who is the hero of your story as you tell it? When you interact with people, is your desire to impress them with who you are? Or to make God the hero of your story? Let us decide to make God the hero of our story. It is so that God's name will be known and so that God's purposes will be achieved. We have to remember that 1 Samuel chapter 17 is just one small story in a long story. And here's the story. God is building his kingdom on the earth. And he wants to create a foreshadowing. He wants us to expect Jesus. He wants us to understand Jesus when he comes. And so he gives us David as a foreshadowing. This is God's purpose for David, to point to Christ. It's also his purpose for you and for me, so that people see Christ in us. But just as there was a king who put God's glory first and therefore was courageous, here comes Jesus, the true king, the son of David, the one who comes in the likeness of David, who gives God the glory. God is doing this great big thing. The story is not about our physical victory. I know many times you've heard this story. And many times when you hear this story, you'll hear people say, who's the Goliath in your life? If you trust God, you'll defeat that giant. That's not the point of this story. The point of this story is, what are you doing to glorify God? Because you know what? We get giants in our life, and sometimes they win. Cancer kills people. We lose people that we love. Things happen and we, we end up the losers. But you know what? I can glorify God in my losing and that makes me a winner. Does God guarantee that you will have victory? Yes. But that victory might look different than what some people tell you. It's not gonna be health, it's not gonna be wealth, Victory for you is God gets the glory. That's victory. And ultimately, when you look at Jesus face to face and you spend forever with him, who gets the glory about that one? Amen. Jesus gets the glory for saving us. And so, let me challenge you to make God the hero of your life. To give him the glory. I change the desire of your heart 
so that God's glory is the highest good. And you know one of the best ways to change the desire of your heart? To sing. To sing. So let's stand. We're going to close with a song. Our God is an unstoppable God. And our heart's desire is that he would get all the glory. And so we sing together. And now may the glory of God be your heart's desire. And may that desire give you courage so that your life broadcasts God's glorious name to all the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. God bless you.